a total delight to be able to preach uh, the gospel. And uh, I have to say, after getting back from Cambodia, we've had a, a really fulfilling week's ministry. We um, came back and directly did the marriage enrichment time, which was a delight, really wonderful. We had about 20 couples that we just spent the weekend with. And then we had um, the kids in the building this week, and it's been a total delight. It feels like... Uh, this growing momentum and joy in the church, which we are very, very grateful for. So, with having said that, we are now moving towards the end of the year and madly rushing towards Christmas. And uh, that's always a very specifically um, challenging time of year for everybody with the end of year school things and everything that has to happen. And so, I felt to start a series on Galatians. And you might think, well, that's rather strange. At the end of the year, as we're approaching Christmas, why start a series on Galatians? Well, as you know, before um, we did our value series, we were doing the Gospel of Mark. And I did about four chapters of that. And I will continue that next year. But I just felt that I needed God speaking to me out of this book of Galatians. um, And I I really just want to try and mix in... uh, Christmas as we go forward um, and speak a little bit about Christ coming to, uh, to earth uh, over Christmas time. But this is a subject that really burns deeply in my heart and I cannot get away from it and I have to, I have to speak to you about the freedom that we have in Jesus and remind you again. Maybe you can take this out of the monitors, please, uh, at the back. I could have called this series many things. I could have called it No Other Gospel. I could have called this uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, I could have called it The Freedom That We Have in Christ. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> I could have called it all of those things. But we're going to be speaking, I'm going to speak to you over the next two or three months out of the Gospel, uh, out of Galatians, uh, really talking around what the Gospel is and why we should be excited about the gospel. And if you just dwell on the introduction of Galatians, we're going to look at the first nine verses today. I would just use these kind of words to describe the gospel, to describe Galatians, the book of Galatians. It really is powerful. It's like dynamite. It's uh, when, you, when you hear Paul speaking, there's a passion and an energy in the language, and there's this freedom that he's trying to, he's trying to, get these Galatians to understand. And, and if you read the book of Galatians, you come away with this deep sense of joy, this sense of security, the sense of satisfaction, and a sense of this is what God wants to bless His church with, all of His people, an understanding of this amazing freedom that we have in Jesus. And more than any other New Testament letter, I would put it to you, this letter is alive. You know, the, the words jump off the page. And I mean by saying that, that Galatians, if you want to use um, this language, Paul is at his most vigorous. He is, he is energetic, he is focused, and there's a sheer emotional weight that comes off the pages when you read them. You cannot read the book of Galatians and without thinking that there's something incredibly important at stake for Paul. You can't read the book and think, well, that's a nice, interesting theological reflection that Paul is uh, bringing to the church. (laughs) You can't. It's impossible. The language is so emotive and so in your face and challenging and stirring. 
And so I want to put it to you at the beginning that the gospel for Paul was an emotional thing as much as it was a theological thing. And I want to encourage you in your own journey with Jesus, how do you think about the gospel? Do you think about it purely as, uh, well, it's a, um, a theology that we need to understand how we've been saved? Or does it, does it evoke some emotion in you as well when you talk about the gospel? And I hope that it will start evoking some emotion in your heart as we talk about the gospel. Because I believe that uh, Galatians is the most um, virile, if I can use that word, statement of this, the truths of the Christian faith. And if we can allow that to impact our hearts, I, I promise you that your faith will become stronger and less brittle, that your heart will become increasingly passionate and less lukewarm if you allow this gospel message to speak to you. And I say all these things because... Quite simply, Galatians brings us face to face with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. God is the gospel. And, and, and Galatians brings us face to face with this message that Paul brings with such passion. And this is my caution as we start talking about these things. Some see the gospel, many Christians see the gospel, when you use the word gospel, they see the gospel as just ABC Christianity, how to be saved into the kingdom. And then they'll say things like, well, that's the gospel. The gospel is a really a very simple message that we need to preach to unbelievers so they can understand how to be saved. And that is the gospel. Uh, and then we move on. You know, we move on to deeper spiritual things and we kind of sort of leave the gospel behind us. I want to say, as we read this book, you will see this more and more clearly, that the gospel is not only the ABC of the Christian life, the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is all of the Christian life. <laughs> it's the way that God changes our lives, personally. It's the way that God changes churches from legalistic religious institutions into passionate groups of people that love Jesus with all of their hearts and will lay down their lives for Him. How does that happen? By pastors whipping people and saying you need to do a whole lot of things. It never works. That is religion. The only thing that works is that the gospel of Jesus begins to burn in your heart with passion. And that comes as you understand the gospel for yourself. And it's transforming your own life. And it's transforming your marriage. And it's transforming your parenting. And it's tra transforming the way that you see the world. The way that you view other people that are from different cultures. I put it to you this morning, that cultural division in the church is because people do not understand the gospel. I put it to you this morning, that religious inequality, uh, racial inequality in the church is because people do not understand the gospel. I put it to you in that people prefer their nation, one nation above the other nation, because people do not fully understand the gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to say in this letter. There were cultural divisions in the church, there were racial divisions in the church, and he's appealing to these young Christians, he's saying, you do not understand what the gospel has done for you. If you understood what the gospel has done for you, you your life would be aligning around this gospel message, and you would not be discriminating against different people in the church community on the basis of their language, race, nationality, whatever it is, let the gospel transform you. Amen? And I think this is a message for the church in the UK. Why do I say that? 
Because everywhere, all over the UK, especially in, in communities like London, and we live on the outskirts of London, everywhere, co- communities are becoming more multicultural, more integrated, and that has a particular set of challenges for all of us. Doesn't it? So let the gospel transform us. Tim Keller says this, which I absolutely love. The message of the gospel is this, that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. (laughs) The gospel is those two things simultaneously, and uh, that is great news. That is radically good news, and that gives you a whole dynamic for your own growth personally, and your obedience in your own life, and your love for Jesus. And so I pray, my prayer is, as we study this book together, that it would become increasingly passionate in your own heart, that it would begin to transform your life, your family, your marriage, your parenting, the way that you see things at work, every area of your life. Amen? And so, here's just some brief historical context, and I am getting to the first nine verses, all right? As you know, Paul, Paul was a church-planting missionary, wasn't he? He went around Asia, um, the, the ends of the earth in, in his day, and he went around preaching this message, and he planted churches. And what he did was that he planted a church in a region, so in Ephesus or Gal- in, in Galatia or Corinth, wherever it was, and then he would move on. And the way that he would pastor those churches, the way that he would nurture the congregations that he had planted, was to write letters. And so most of the New Testament is Paul's letters written to encourage churches like ours, like this local church. And he would speak into the local church by writing letters. And so this letter, Paul's uh, letter to the Galatian churches, is written in about A.D. 50, around there, which is only 15 to 20 years after Jesus had ministered. This is quite recent in church history. And so I was thinking about it like this. It would be Paul. This church is 14 years old. It would be like Paul writing to us at the beginning of our journey and just reminding us of some things that he wanted to remind us of, the way we started. Isn't that an amazing thought? So it's like in his head, he knew the people well that he was writing to. Only 14 years relationship. It's not a lot. And this is the problem. This is a new church. It's a young church. It's a vibrant church. But as I said, there were social and, and, and racial divisions within the church. And there's this group of teachers. Isn't this interesting? There's a group of teachers in the church that are preaching a gospel that Paul says is not the right gospel. I love the internet. And I think the internet is brilliant. But what I'm, I appeal to you all is to be discerning when you use the internet. There's so much stuff out there that parades itself as the gospel, and it is not the gospel. And I'm sorry, I am passionate about this. Christ plus nothing is everything. Not Christ plus prosperity gospel. Yes? If you believe in Jesus, you are going to be rich. That is Christ plus prosperity. It is true that Jesus prospers you in everything including your finances. But it is not Christ plus prosperity. It is Christ. Amen? And I'm going to make some enemies when I'm (laughs) preaching this. I hold to that with all of my heart, and that's what we will hold to in this church. Healing is part of the gospel. It is not the thing. It is one of the things. 
Blessing is part of the gospel. It is not the only thing. It is one of the things. We want everything. We want healing and, and blessing and everything, but never making that the focus of the gospel that we preach. The focus is Jesus. Jesus alone, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All right? And so there's this group of teachers in the Galatian church, and they are trying to say to these young Christians, actually, Jesus is not enough for you. What you need is to be a, a Jewish person. You need to be circumcised. You need to wash your hands in a certain way. And you only need to eat certain foods. And that is really what makes you acceptable to the Lord. So it's good that you believe in Jesus, but become a little bit more Jewish so that you can become fully pleasing to God. And Paul just takes them on. And he says, what you're saying is nonsense. It is not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus a Jewish culture. It is Jesus plus nothing that makes you acceptable to Christ. That is it that makes you acceptable to God. And so, this is a gospel that we need to hold to because there's a temptation in our culture to add all sorts of things to Jesus. Jesus plus positive thinking makes you acceptable to God. No, is it good to have your mind renewed? Yes, it is. Is it good to throw off the things of the world that are not Christian thinking? Yes, it is. But that's not the main thing. <laughs> the main thing is Jesus. And so, he says, this gospel that these men are preaching is a different gospel. And he's saying it's bringing these divisions in the church. And for him, everything is at, at stake when he... Um, when he addresses the Galatian church. And so, the most obvious thing I want to say is that as we look at this letter, let it be impact you because it's not just that he's addressing the, the church in, in Galatia at the time. He's addressing all of us. He's addressing every single person that is reading this letter and his message is, the gospel is all that you need for your life. It is not just the ABC, it is the A to Z. It is all that you need. Jesus is all that you need. And so... Having had my little energetic introduction, can we please read the first nine verses? And we're gonna, I'm going to make a couple of points out of that. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory for uh, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not there's another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus. But even if we, he includes himself in that, we, Paul, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be cursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. Man, Paul is not a nice guy at this point, is he? And I was just thinking how many cults have started 
if you go and read the history of cults, how many cults have not started by people claiming that they've got visions from an angel or somebody else, and they get this, this revelation? Paul says, even if an angel comes to you, he says, even if I come to you and I start preaching a different message, let me be cursed and let that person be cursed because it's not the gospel that you heard. Man, it's strong language. And then he moves, remember we, we, we had a look at the introductions a, a couple of weeks ago where Paul always starts with, grace to you and grace with you, and he ends the letters. He kind of moves on from his greeting, and, and, and normally he gives thanks for different people and says, greet this one and greet that one. He just moves straight on. And he, he says, grace to you, and, um, and peace from God. And then he says, I am astonished, in verse 6. He just moves straight on. He doesn't, uh, no niceties in this letter. He just moves straight on, and he says, I am astonished. And so I've, I've pointed to you this, this to you already. His tone, his frame of mind, his surprise, his anger, his language is very, very strong. And uh, he says he's astonished. Why? A couple of things. You can see in the verses there, verse 7, because these young Christians have accepted a gospel that is not really the gospel. And he says, because of that, they are in danger, they are confused. And he's also angry at those who are misleading these young converts and trying to pervert the gospel. And indirectly, he's also angry at the people because they, he says, you've deserted God. You've deserted Jesus. You're putting your trust in something else rather than in what Jesus has done for you. And so you might say, well, and, you know, they were all, the early Christians were Jews anyway, so, so what is the deal about customs and laws? I mean, surely the deal is about um, pleasing God and doing what pleases God. And if that pleased God for the Jews, surely we shouldn't have... Um, an issue with it. But actually, the way that Paul responds here shows, as a Jew, he saw something crucial in this that needed to be addressed. And so once we understand what Paul believed, we can see why his attitude was so strong, and we can see why his attitude was justifiable. And I believe there are some things that we need to stand for in our day and age. And I've had so many people say to me, don't, don't preach about what you are against. And I'm not against many things. Rather preach what you are for. And I think that generally is true. Let's stand, let's preach what we're for. Let's preach what we are about. We're about love. We're about the th- these, th- these good things. But at the same time, you have to know what you believe and be clear about what you believe so when other people are trying to undermine that or other theologies are trying to undermine that, you can say, this is not what I hold to. This is not the gospel. And my, um, our desire as preachers that preach in this church is that every single one of you will so know the gospel of Jesus, as the Dutch say, you'll be able to taste it. And when you taste something that is not the gospel, you will be able to throw it off for yourself and say, this is not the gospel of Jesus. That you'd align all of your life, as I'm trying to align all of my life, to the central thing of who Jesus is and what he's done. Amen? This is our, this is our, our um, journey, and this is what we are hoping we are going to increasingly move into. So Paul has a right to speak, and I just want to highlight that, um, and then I'm going to move on. He, he, he affirms his unique position as one of the first apostles. Note the phrase he uses right at the beginning. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor by man. Do you see he says that? Everyone who's called as a minister today is called by the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, those that are in ministry are not called by men. 
They are called by the Holy Spirit, and that is true. But, and our ultimate authority as ministers and preachers of God's Word comes from the Word. It doesn't come from men. But, in a sense, human beings today are appointed by others. There's a, there's a recognition of a calling on someone's life, and then a congregation will say, well, we recognize the calling that, you, that, that God has in your life. Will you come and lead us? That's how ministers are called. Or there will be a team of men and women that recognizes the calling on, on someone's life and says, we, we recognize the calling in your life. Please go and do start something, and you are sent. So in a sense, we are appointed by humans, although we are called by God. Paul is not saying that. He is saying something incredibly different. He is saying, I have not been appointed by any man. I have been called and commissioned, and what I have received, I have received from Christ himself. That's what he's saying. He's making a radically different claim and statement. He is saying, these things that I have learnt have been taught to me directly by Jesus, not by any other man. And so... He says he's coming with a particular divine message that is the gospel. And uh, he implies, he says what he is teaching is the standard by which you can judge what is right and what is wrong. Orthodox. The word orthodox means correct. Paul is saying you can learn from me what is orthodox, what is correct, and you can, by implication you can know what is wrong and heretical. He's saying, what I'm giving you, I heard from Jesus, and it's the right thing. So I want to learn from Paul. I'm tired of people's opinions. I want to learn from Jesus. And the best way is through his word, what is revealed through people. And so that's why he says this radical statement, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what I've preached, let him be cursed. So none of us can alter the message, none of us can revise the message, none of us can delete, none of us can cut and paste, none of us can add anything. Our message is Jesus. That is the fullness, the totality of our message. Christ is enough. And that's what we want to preach with passion with all of our hearts. So then, what is the gospel? Well, it's interesting because if you read the introduction carefully, Paul actually tells us in the introduction what the gospel is. And here it is. First of all, Paul uh, helps us understand who we are. Please can you go with me to verse 4. What does it say? It says, God has delivered us through Jesus from this present wicked age, or a reasonable facsimile of those words, all right? Well, what does that mean? This is the difference between Christianity and every other great religion. Jesus says that we need to be rescued. Do you notice that? Deliver us can be best translated as rescue us. God has come through the person of Jesus to rescue us from this present evil age. Most other great religions say that there are great teachers that you need to follow. And if you follow Buddha, or if you follow Muhammad, these are great teachers that can lead you into truth. Christianity never starts at that place. Jesus was a great teacher. He was the greatest teacher that has ever lived. But Paul never says to to any of us, follow Jesus because he's a great ethical and moral teacher. He, he never says that. What does he say? He says, we need to be rescued. <laughs> He's saying, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. We need rescue. And the only one that can rescue us is Jesus. 
And so when you hear a person on the street saying, well, Jesus is just another great teacher who wants to help you understand how to live your life in a good moral way, stand up and say, no! That is not what the, the, the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches this, that mankind doesn't need to learn how to be more moral. Mankind needs rescue from himself. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. Am I a bit loud? Okay. And can I say this is the best way I can um, uh, put this to you, to use this image. We love to go to France. We love to go to Spain on holiday. I love beach. I love the beach. I want to swim all day. That's what I do when I go on holiday. I swim and I eat too much and drink lots of wine. That's how I have a holiday. If I was in Spain and I saw a drowning person, it's not the time to throw them a manual on how to swim. <laughs> It's not the time to say, actually, here's a check for you, and if you take this check, you can cash it in at our local council, and you can get 15 free swimming lessons. Do you get my point? When someone is drowning, you throw them a line. You get in the water and you save them. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying the message of Jesus rescues us. It's not primarily about learning a set of moral ways to, to live your life. Along the way, you do learn some stuff, but we need rescue. That's who we are. We are desperately lost without Jesus, and we need to be rescued. Like a drowning man needs to be rescued out of the sea, that's what Christ has done for us. Do you understand? And so, Jesus is not so much a teacher. Jesus is the great rescuer of all of humanity. And let that be in our hearts. Jesus rescues us. He saves us because it's what we most need. We don't even need to know that we need to be rescued, but we do. And that's why Jesus comes and rescues us. And secondly, Paul then says, not only who we are, what Jesus did. And the way that he says Jesus saved us is he, he says in verse 4, he died a substitutionary death. Okay? It's not a general death. It's a death for you. It's a death for me. And it's not just about us having a second chance either. You know, Jesus gives you a second chance. Gives you another opportunity to get right with God. I mean, in a sense that is right, but in this, this is what Paul is primarily saying, that Jesus did all that is needed for us to be right with God. And not only on, to be saved, but to kept, be kept right with God as we live our lives. He's done all that we need. And so, it's, that's why I say, it's impossible to lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Why? Because if that is not true, then Jesus would need to pay the price over and over and over and over again for your sin, and that is not just, that is not fair. Jesus died once for all, for your sin and for my sin. Once saved, always saved. That's it. And so, this is what Paul says, that's what Jesus did for us, and thirdly, he shows us what the Father did. He said, he accepted the work of Christ, and the sign of the acceptance of the work of Christ was that he raised Jesus from the dead. And he gives us grace, he gives us peace to live our lives. And so, just, we didn't ask to be rescued, simply by the sheer grace and love that God has for us, he rescues us. So that he's the one alone that gets the glory. 
and not any man. You see, this is, the, this is the ultimate humiliation, if you like, or humility of Christianity. If you think there's anything good in yourself that God sees as worthy of being rescued, then you still have something to do with your salvation. Don't you? That's what people don't like. <laughs> is there nothing good in me that God would see? I want to rescue that in that person. Is there nothing good? Not even a tiny little thing. The Christian message says, there's nothing good in any of us. Nothing good. Nothing that God would see worthy to save us. The only reason that God saves us is out of His sheer love that He initiates is sheer grace and initiates. You see, that's why we find um, messages of self-salvation so appealing. If you search the internet, you will see a gazillion people that all teach self-help. How to be a better person. How to be a more positive person. How's this guy now that they don't want to let in um, to the country who um, goes around telling men how to best pick up girls, but he's actually just a, an abusive man. What's his name? Somebody LeBlanc or whatever. There are all these techniques that people have to be better people, to be more positive work, how to be successful, how to make lots of money. All these are self-help techniques. This is not the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is, we are dirty, rotten scoundrels, every single one of us. There's nothing good in any of us apart from Jesus. And once we are transformed by the power of Jesus, aha, then a lot of things become possible and our lives do change from one degree of glory to another. But it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Him. So, don't give in to the temptation of believing those self-help things that tell you actually, what they're actually saying is, you can save yourself. <laughs> you can save yourself. No, Jesus saves us. When Jesus saves us, other things become possible. We never save ourselves. And then I'd like to just finally talk about this little phrase, we are rescued from this present evil age. This is what Paul says Jesus does for us. What does that mean? Well, can I just point you to some other scriptures? John seventeen fifteen says this. Jesus praying for his disciples, and he says, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. Why does he say that? Well, because th this present age in which we live is an evil age, and because sin it has such a grip on our lives, it also has grips on the institutions of society. Have you not noticed over the last couple of years that what has driven our economy almost to its knees is the greed of people? It's the sin of bankers. It's ultimately them saying that what is more important for my life is my bonus, and I don't really care about anybody else as long as I get my bonus. That's sin, isn't it? And now even in the midst of that, there's some other bankers that in the midst of the crisis <laughs> were meddling with the forex exchange rate so they could, they could make more money. We live in a wicked time. Wicked. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not. We do, it's just in Cambodia. We live in a wicked time. Told you about some of the men that are just exploiting these young girls. Wickedness. And Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. That's what he says. But here's the good news. Here's the wonderful thing. For those who trust in Jesus, for those that have put their faith in Jesus, we've begun to walk into freedom. There's a liberation that's begun to take place in our hearts and our lives. Colossians 1.13 puts it like this. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. When you're in Jesus, you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness, you're in the kingdom of light. You're no longer under the dominion of the devil, you're now in the kingdom of Jesus and and the, the Son of God. And you never straddle the two. You're not half in the kingdom and half out. (laughs) When you're saved, you're saved. Out of darkness, into light, forever in the kingdom of light. This is the good news. And there's a liberation that has begun to take place in our lives. And and, uh, Hebrews um, 6 verse 5 puts it like this. It says, we have tasted the power of the age that is still to come. We have tasted the power. In other words, we are no longer enslaved to the way that the world thinks. We are no longer enslaved to guilt, to pessimism, to fear, to selfishness, to greed. Why? Because we've begun to taste of what the future is, what the age that we are still going to enjoy in eternity, that has begun to impact our lives now, and we begin to enjoy that now. Righteousness, peace, joy. That's why I say to you, when we see someone healed, it's a flash of eternal glory into our present reality right now. The perfection that is still to come, we see it now when someone is healed. That's what it's going to be like in heaven one day. No No sickness, no disease, no pain, no suffering. And we experience that now on earth when when God touches someone and gives us a glimpse of the glory that is still to come. And this is what Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke 11, 20. What about 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What does that mean? The old age is gone and the new has come. In Jesus. And so I put it to you this morning that the great joy of this book of Galatians, the wonderful freedom that Paul is pointing us to, is that as we are delivered from the darkness, as we are delivered from this present evil age, our lives start to bear witness that we don't belong in this world. (laughs) That we belong to another king. I, I think it's good to be faithful to your nation, and I, I am eternally grateful to be a British citizen. I love this nation that has adopted me so wholeheartedly. But you know what? At the end of the day, my allegiance is not to Prince Charles, whoever becomes our next monarch. My allegiance is to Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. This life that I live, this life that you live, why does Paul say we are strangers and aliens in this world? He says we are sojourners. We are those that are going on a journey through this life, but this is not our final destination. What is our destination? Heaven. Our destination is eternity. Our king is Jesus. And so what we are saying, what Paul is saying, as we are delivered from this present evil age, in our thinking, it means that we throw off everything of the way that the world thinks and what it values, because we are not living for those values anymore. We are living for eternal values. We are living for Jesus. We are living for His kingdom. And that happens while we are still here on earth right now. 
Are you with me? And we will enjoy the fullness of that one day. Now we know it partially. Now we see, as Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. We see what it's going to be like, but not perfectly. And so when we pray for people, we don't always see them healed. Many of them are, not all of them are. In this life, we still have trouble. We still have hard times. But great is He that is in us than He who is in the world. And we are, God delivers us as we, as we um, sang this morning. His goodness and His mercy follows us all the days of our lives. Man, this is good news. And this is the gospel that Paul is so passionate about. And I trust it will become your gospel and the gospel that you become passionate about. It is ultimately about freedom. Freedom. Galatians 5.1, we'll get to it in a number of months. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. What is slavery? Slavery is in your head when you start thinking like the world, when you are enslaved by the world systems and what it values. Paul says, you've been set free from that. You're a new person in Christ. Don't be again slaved to the way the world thinks. Think like an eternal person with an eternal perspective. And Paul says this of Timothy. I I love this. 2 Timothy 4.10. He's speaking of a guy called Demas. And he says, Demas has deserted me because he is in love with this present age. Paul's a very honest guy. He says, no, that person deserted me because actually they're really too much in love with this world. (laughs) They just don't get it. They think this is all that it is. And he's always pointing us to eternal future. So, I want to encourage you that as you subject yourself to the Word of God, as you learn from the Word of God, and you submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, an amazing thing begins to happen, is that you begin to loose yourself from the, the clutches of this age, the clutches of this world, and you start to think differently, and you start to feel differently, and it seems like a contradiction, but ultimately those that are, those that are giving themselves to the Word of God are the freest people on the face of the planet. Why is it that you can go to a church in Cambodia and you can feel like you're a family when you're from a different race and culture. Why is it that churches throughout history and the Christian faith throughout history has been at the forefront of delivering people from slavery, racial prejudice, economic inequality, rights for women, I could go on and on and on. And now our age is trying to rewrite our history and pretend that those people weren't Christians and that they weren't motivated by the gospel. What absolute nonsense. If you, any honest student of history has to say, look at Wilberforce and see what drove him was his Christian faith that before God, all men are created equal. <laughs> Why? Because the gospel has transformed our hearts. And so, churches should be places where every race, every creed, every culture, equality between men and women, and Paul says there's no slave, there's no free, in Christ we are all one. Uh, this should be a place where people see that lived out. Regardless of whether you support England, or whether you support the Springboks, or whether you support Australia, we are one in Christ. And there's no division amongst us. Why? Because we are one body in Him. That's my cry. 
that you become passionate about this gospel that has transformed our lives and continues to transform our lives. And anything, anything that seeks to take away our alignment from the centrality of the gospel, we will deal with. Yes? And that means racial prejudice. That means preferring one nationality over another. That means a whole bunch of things if we just think about it. Why? Because Jesus is our heart's desire. Jesus is the one that we love. It's his freedom that we want more than anything else. And that means this, this can become a place where every tribe, every people, every, every nation find a home. Not because we're nice. For those of you that have been in this church for a long time, no, I'm probably not a nice person outside of the Holy Spirit. Nor are you a nice person outside of the Holy Spirit. What makes us able to accept every person is because Christ has first accepted us. And because we can, he's accepted us, we, we can extend that same grace to every single person that he brings through these doors. Amen? This is the good news. And so we're going to continue to look at the freedom that Christ has brought for us as we study the book of Galatians together. Can we um, break bread this morning? And we're going to celebrate that together. Now, I want to uh, just, uh, if you're visiting this morning and you love Jesus, you, you're welcome to... Uh, to join with us. I'm just going to simply pray and what we do is that we break bread and we pray with each other. We are all ministers. We are all priests. And so we're going to pray for each other. And maybe you would like to go and pray with someone else and just encourage them. Maybe you'd like to welcome someone that you haven't uh, met before and just say, I'm one because of what Jesus has done in my heart. Okay? Let's pray and then we're going to break bread. And uh, is Ed still Maybe you can just lead us in a song as we finish. But let's just pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your, your goodness and your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that what makes us clean is uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We thank you, Lord, for the nations that we come from. We thank you for our cultures. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of growing up in a nation like this where equality is celebrated and where people from all nations have been welcomed together. I want to say it's an incredible privilege. Thank you, Lord. And we just want to remind ourselves this morning, Lord, that ultimately what draws us together, what enables us to celebrate as a church is, is not our backgrounds, it's not our nations, it's not where we come from, it's where we're going. It's, it's the fact that we are all citizens of heaven because of what Christ has brought for us. And so, Lord, I pray that increasingly we'll become a community that sees a great diversity of people from every tribe and language group and nation because of your grace, because of your kindness, because of your love. And Lord, that we would fight for that gospel that Paul so, so stood for. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Lord, that become the anthem of our hearts. That you'd set us free from materialism, you'd set us free from, from the clutches of this world would seek, seek to distract us and tell us that we can save ourselves and, and do a whole lot of stuff that is not what you point us to in your word. And so we pray, Lord, as we break bread together that you remind of these things, these things in our hearts and we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that was poured out. And Lord, our hope, our joy this morning is in your body broken and your blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And we thank you, Lord, that you've paid that price for us, and we celebrate that together as your people.
this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.